Hello, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Monday podcast brought to you by Not The Top 20 podcast. That is myself, Ali Maxwell, and on the line with me, George Ellick. George, we are recording four years to the day since our first podcast was released on iTunes. It's not technically a four-year anniversary because uh, in those days we, we didn't know the right thing to do when you set up a podcast. It turns out it takes iTunes about five days to actually approve the pod. So it instantly it was out of date, our very first episode. But it was <laughs> but it was exactly four weeks ago uh, on today, on a Monday in May, uh, in which we, I think, reviewed uh, the top of the championship and the bottom of the championship and previewed the playoffs, which were ultimately won by Steve Bruce's Hull. That sums up just how long ago it was when we kicked this this all off. Yeah, Ali, if you'd told me four years ago <laughs> that we'd be sitting here in the middle of a global pandemic, having not seen each other for two months, but celebrating our four-year anniversary with everything that's come in between, I'd have been very, very surprised. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. At the format of this podcast, then, uh, we are going to get a little bit misty-eyed and a little bit self-indulgent. Um, that might not be interesting for you. Uh, that might be of interest for you. We're going to talk about uh, how we started, why we started, and sort of tick off various milestones uh, and various other bits and bobs along the way of the NTT20 journey. You'd be very, very well within your rights to think that that sounds like a bit of a circle jerk, but hopefully it should be interesting. We've got a few questions from you guys as well that you sent in on Twitter, but we're not going to start with that because we, we want to put some some meat on the bones before we get into all of that nonsense. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting week. It's a really interesting week to be talking to you guys. Not a lot to tell you so far, but a lot of rumour and a lot of projection because we're led to believe that it's going to be a big week in terms of uh, voting on what will happen to the divisions, certainly in League One and League Two. Uh, George, this really kicked off, I think, on Thursday. Matt Slater, who writes for The Athletic, who in my eyes has been the sort of premier uh, journalist covering the EFL during the pandemic, he came out with an exclusive and all hell broke loose. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to read it. Uh, in, in full, but if you haven't read Matt's pieces, uh, we haven't read this piece from Matt or any of his other articles, I'd recommend doing so. As ever, this post- podcast is sponsored by The Athletic. And if you want a free trial or half price for uh, a year, you can go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 and you will get what you want. And I do recommend reading this stuff because it is very good and very important. And in Matt's piece that went live early on Friday, morning the first thing I read when I opened my eyes on Friday morning was a text from my brother who had seen it already um, saying that there was a chance that League One and League Two not only would be cancelled uh, or we'd be told that there were, wouldn't be any more football this week but also the fact that it was going to be possibly a weighted points per game that would decide the outcome of the league something that has happened in rugby something that we hadn't really heard of yet in terms of possibility within football but suddenly, not only was it being said that it was a possibility, but according to Matt in the piece, after it being put forward by a League One club, no betting on which League One club that is, uh, it's now one of the favoured or possibly the favoured eventuality. Um, it's it's which, difficult to which, know which that. Which is fair to say, you know, ruffled a few feathers in, you know, in around the, the Wickham, Oxfordshire area. Mm. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was just a 
It's just a, a huge piece to, to come out of that time because there are a few things up in the air. And of course, all of this is still up in the air. Ultimately, um, what Matt talks about in the piece might not happen. Um, and it's the clubs themselves that will vote on the, the method of deciding promotion and relegation. But at that stage, you know, we were wondering, will there be any chance of the leagues continuing? So it pretty much put paid to that, saying that the EFL will tell clubs in League One and League Two there's no chance of playing any more games this season. Then the question is, are we going to be doing any sort of promotion and relegation? It seems that the that the vibe is very much yes. They do feel the need to promote yeah. uh, and therefore, I suppose, relegate teams, although that is also not, not an absolute given. Uh, and therefore, the third bit, which was what caused, I guess, most conversation, was how you decide the promotion teams. And this is where the, the, the big discussion really came, George, because suggested by Matt was uh, that the potentially favoured option although you know we are still waiting to see what will ultimately get voted in by the clubs themselves who vote on this uh, was a weighted points per game system which took into account performance at home and away in terms of points per game and I suppose how many games at home and away that that you've played and therefore would have had remaining Um, I personally think it it makes some sense to find a a weighting towards home and away Uh, over the last six EFL seasons the average points per game at home is 1.55 compared to 1.19 away so in in my brain logically that makes sense to do a little bit of weighting like that personally but the difficulty here George is you get into so much wrangling about what is fair maybe what is the least unfair who will come out of it wrong I mean every single club in the conversation will believe that they were the ones who were set set up for a good late run you've got Peterborough chairman Dara McAntony pointing out they've got an excellent home record they've got loads of home games left against teams in the bottom half and the best goal difference etc etc like you you really really can't find an outcome that's going to please everyone here so I'm interested to know what your sort of reaction to it was apart from oh my god because you you certainly didn't think that that Oxford were going to be sent up as far as I could tell yeah I've got a lot of thoughts and it's going to be hard to uh give them all eloquently here without getting myself in a in a tangle but but we'll try one thing that I'll start upon is that there seems to have been an issue with certain people that are digging deeper into points per game because points per game is a very obvious way of doing it you can just apply it to the whole table and I think that there is a concern amongst some that once you add a variable which is the home and away advantage then you are adding an extra layer onto that and effectively why should you stop there if you're going to add extra context why stop and I, I, I understand that but at the same time the home and away advantage is a tangible fact of football. You know, obviously from team to team it varies, but over the course of football, consistently, season on season, there is a tangible and, you know, you can quantify the advantage of playing at home compared to playing away pretty accurately. And therefore, it's very easy to weight the points per game on the back of that. And it makes sense. It makes sense that we have you know, seven months worth of football over which certain clubs have played more of their games at home, some have played more more of their games away. And the key to working out who deserves to get promoted isn't a case necessarily of predicting what would have happened from here on in. It's more about rewarding the teams on what they have done so far. And to go back on something we spoke about uh, on going up, going down, I mean, I think the old adage that the table doesn't lie after, you know, 46 games is a pretty... false one certainly 
after 38 games, it definitely isn't correct. So it makes sense to look to deep, delve into it a little bit deeper. I mean, are you saying that the absolute ideal for you would be some very smart sort of 10,000 simulations based on all sorts of, of very granular data? Because that seems like it might give a clearer picture, um, but that would also come with with huge issues, I think, from, from within yeah. the game, that that would be the way uh, of doing it. I, I think if you're looking for, for just fairness and transparency, in terms of fairness, it probably it would be the fairest way of doing it, but it's so untransparent. It would make sense to one percent of the of the footballing public, at least. You know, realistically, if you don't understand how weighted points per game works, then you haven't tried hard enough. You're 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 being obtuse. You're not just letting yourself understand that there is, as we all know, you know, there's an advantage to playing at home, and this is bringing into that. I've also seen some people saying that you should introduce, um, you know, game by game weighting. So you have a look at who you're playing in the future. But as we all know teams vary throughout the season. So if you have got a game coming up against Wickham, for example, Wickham over the past month, six weeks of the season, were a bottom half side. However, on points per game weighting, they're the third best team in the league. So you cannot simplify it that much. You also can't simplify it into top top half and bottom half because you are basically then splitting sides, let's say between 10th, 11th and 14th, 15th, who are marginal if anything, between them over the course of the season so far, and you're splitting into two different groups, there are there are clearly going to be better ways and fairer ways of doing it than a way to PPG. However, uh, I do think it's better than just points per game because you're adding context, which should be there. You know, logically it makes sense. But the big concern and the, the annoying thing for me here, and anyone who follows me on Twitter will think that I fall into this category because I've been arguing in favour of, of a of a you know, a an outcome that will will mean that the team I support goes up. And if I sit here and tell you that that's got nothing to do with it, you know, I'm going to have people laughing into their into their coffee listening. So there's no point in doing that, even though that's what I believe. Everyone is acting out of self interest. Everyone, you know, and I, and I I haven't seen a Wickham fan who said that the weighted PPG is beneficial. I haven't seen, for example, a Stevenage fan saying that they think anything should happen except for null and void. Find me a Liverpool fan who thinks that the season should be cancelled and I'll buy you beer for the rest of the year. But it's it, No one is acting rationally here. Everyone is being served by self-interest. And that's a massive bore. It's boring talking about this online. It's boring reading other people's opinions because you look at their bio, you look at who they are, and straight away you can understand where they're coming from. So when it comes to the vote, this is the crucial part because realistically it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what WWFC Paul thinks on Twitter either. Like it, it, It's irrelevant. All that matters is how the clubs are going to vote. And we don't know at the moment how that vote is going to look, whether it's going to be a case where you need a certain threshold of, say, I don't know, two thirds of the clubs to vote in favour of one thing, whether it's just the most successful vote is the one that works, whether the vote is going out to the championship as well, because at the end of the day, if they are, uh, if their league is cancelled a few weeks after League One and League Two, they're going to have to adhere to whatever this is. So do they get a say? You know, if you're looking at League One alone, as much as Darren McAntony and I'm sure Stuart Donald and you know Portsmouth and all these other people, as, as much as they're going to want to believe that their team should be promoted, if there is a ballot paper on which there is no scenario, which means that's going to happen, that's going to be massively beneficial to Oxford over Wickham, in my opinion, in a way that's unfair. Because realistically, if you're take Darren McAntony, if you're Darren McAntony, who do you want in League One next season between the, those two sides? The one with, say, probably twice the budget than the other one? Or do you want the team who were on a downward curve 
who are punching above their weight. You're going to vote in favour of Oxford going up and Wickham staying in League One, irrespective of what's fair and right. And that is and that is an issue as well. So there are a lot of grey areas in terms of how the voting is going to go. I think it's going to be... I, I basically can't see a way to getting the clubs to vote being a particularly fair way of doing things. I imagine a fair few will probably try and abstain because there won't be an option which satisf- satisfies what they want. It, it's it's very messy. Um, on a personal level, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in waking up on Tuesday morning to a tweet from Oxford saying, oh my God, we've been promoted, and then spending all next season watching uh, us on iFollow, uh, you know, not going to all these grounds and being able to enjoy it. It's not particularly satisfactory. Having said that, I prefer it to us not going up at all. So it's a mess. I wish, and I'm looking forward to it being over, so I can stop reading people's um, opinions on it, including my own. Well, I think that I think that's a, a, a crucial sentiment, one that I definitely share, uh, and and hopefully we're led to believe we will know a lot more, even by the time some of you listen to this on Tuesday uh, afternoon. Perhaps we might know more. Certainly on Thursday's going up, going down podcast, we're going to be getting our teeth into whatever the decision is, because it's much more fun and much more interesting for us talking about decisions that have been made football matches that have happened uh, rather than sort of prevaricating and, and trying to predict things, especially when we don't always feel like absolute experts on this scenario. Obviously in League Two, um, just to make sure that we're covering League Two as well, there's a question mark about, uh, it, it, depending on how you use it, uh, Swindon Crew and Plymouth look fairly safe to go up uh, and then it, and then the, the weighted PPG, uh, and I think points per game anyway, puts Cheltenham above Exeter. So that's the big change there. So, I mean, I think I think what's worth pointing out here, and, you know, it's the sort of topic that people love to discuss, especially when there's no sport on. It's understandable um, because it's juicy and it's new and it is just completely, it's a mess, as you say, and, and people like to discuss things like that. What I think is really important to remember here. I think we might be looking back in two months' time and wondering why we wasted so much breath deciding who the third team in League One that gets promoted mm. is when you know we should have been thinking more about putting plans in place to, to support clubs from what could actually be financial oblivion. And I do exaggerate sometimes, but you know the, 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 the noises are not good coming out of League One and League Two clubs. So through, through all this, and especially with no skin in the game personally, I must admit, and this might be a really bad thing to say, like I don't care who gets the third promotion spot in League One. I don't really care who gets the fourth promotion spot in League Two. Um, the relegation spots in those two leagues are more or less sorted, although, as we know, Tranmere have, have made some some great late season runs in, in recent years. But I, I get the feeling that Mark Palios, the Tranmere chairman, wouldn't be kicking up as big a fuss as, as some chairman and if, if his club were on the wrong side of it. Because he, like so many others, who potentially aren't being listened to enough because it's not quite as juicy, just want a decision to be made, just want strong leadership from Rick Parry and the EFL, which I think we're seeing to a greater extent than we have done over the last few years, that's certainly for sure. They want to get this vote out the way, not so that they can send teams up or down and and have a sly vote, but actually so that they can plan and prepare for the future with just a tiny bit more certainty. Because we we know, we're pretty sure that the safe return of football, certainly in League 1 and League 2, is still a few months away, just impossible logistically and and for health reasons. Um, and, And so we have to make this decision so that clubs can have a better idea of how they should approach the next few months, which are sure to be really, really difficult. So at Thursday, 
Wednesday's Going Up, Going Down podcast is the place to go for reaction to any decision that makes the last few weeks. I did just want to get your thoughts because I know it's been something that's flying around a lot over the last few days. Uh, and, and I think it, it's it's right to at least discuss it, even if the discussion itself isn't one of our favourites and, and makes us, um, yeah, makes us go back and forth a little bit. And, and uh, there's there's really no right answer. But uh, I mean, I'd, I'd just be more interested. I mean, even I just sent you a, a WhatsApp just before we, we recorded here of the South End owner saying he thought the, the season should be null and void. And, I, you know, we've heard a lot from Mark Palios, as you say. We've heard a lot from, you know, the stakeholders in this who are affected the most. And I think probably the, the more newsworthy opinions, the ones I'd like to hear from here, are those in charge of clubs who, like yourself, don't have a stake in this, who, who it's not going to affect their season, who understand the nuances of football and football ownership, but aren't going to be directly affected by who goes up and who goes down. Well, I mean, League Two's got about 15 clubs with nothing really to play for. League One have got plenty as well. I mean, are you suggesting that a fairer vote would just contain the clubs that didn't really have anything to play for? Yeah, I would. I would say that. And, and, you know, probably anyone listening to this, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of what fans of... Peterborough, Oxford, Wickham, just looking at League One only, you know, Sunderland, I've, I've, I know what these fans think, Tranmere, I know what these fans think. I'd like to hear from, you know, your Lincolns, you know, your, your yeah. sides who are just going to be in League One next season whenever that starts, who don't have a stake in this. You know, if, you, if you're listening and you have been following this story, let us know what you reckon. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to point out before we move on is whatever happens, there's likely to be a club or a handful of clubs that you know start some sort of legal action um, because that's what we're sort of led to expect. That's what everyone seems to think. I mean, I don't. I, you're just going to have to swallow that if you're the EFL. Um, it's going to happen. We reckon either way. So why worry about that? Basically, like you know, it's it's ultimately a handful of clubs out of if we're just talking League One and League Two. Uh, what are we currently? Forty-seven clubs in those divisions. Um, focus on the important thing for for the majority of them, which is having a decision made, so that there's not this feeling of limbo, so that there's not this feeling of great uncertainty, both for the footballing side of things, but also the the financial side of things. So, I'm um, looking forward to reviewing this chat again on on Thursday. It might not age very well, but let's see how we go. Um, it, it's worth pointing out, and as I said at the top. Uh, Matt Slater, who we've had on this pod a few times, we're definitely going to need to get him on again at some point over the next few weeks. He, for me, has been absolutely smashing it out of the park in terms of getting the exclusives, uh, keeping his ear to the ground and talking to the right people uh, and writing it up for The Athletic. So, I mean, it wasn't just this piece. He wrote loads last week about all parts of the situation. Uh, he's working very, very hard. And and if you wanted to read Matt Slater and you don't subscribe to The Athletic, then at theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. You get a, a little free trial for seven days so you can check it out risk-free and you also get... 50% off your annual subscription. So I think it comes to about two quid fifty a month uh, and so much good stuff on there. So make sure you give that a go today. And breathe, George, and breathe. This was always going to be a, a sort of um, bit of carrot and a bit of stick here. We've had the... <laughs> is, that the is that the right phrase? <laughs> yeah, the, the carrot and the stick. So what have we had? The carrot? Should be, it should be a carrot baton. So have we had the carrot or have we had the stick? What's next? You, you dangle the carrot... 
and then you get the stick. So, so, we, so we, we've sticked them and now we're giving them a carrot afterwards. It's more like a doggy treat, I think. It's not for them. It's not for the listeners. It's for me. There's a part that, oh, right. I, a part that I that I was, was anxious about because it's such a turbulent topic. Uh, and now a part which is completely the opposite, which is just pure um, trip down memory lane, really, as we, as we celebrate four years together as podcast partners. Uh, it, it's a... Uh, I had a bath this morning, which is rare, but I thought to myself, where's the best place to really reminisce, to soak literally and metaphorically uh, and to, to, to cast my mind back and remember, you know, motivations and, and decisions that were made uh, over the last four years that have led us to, to where we are. Um, as mentioned, this is going to be uh, all about us. So please feel free to turn off if you're not that interested in it. Um, first question, I think we'll use one from Twitter, George. Uh, Craig Bradley, uh, who's been a long time uh, friend of the pod, uh, he asked, I'd like to ask, when you started the pod, did you A hope to get where you are now and B, expect to get where you are now. Before we start, before I throw to you, I just want to make it clear. I don't think for a minute that we have like made it or done anything like unbelievably special, but I suppose uh, Craig is, is sort of pointing to the unbelievable uh, opportunities that we've had, certainly in the broadcasting world uh, with Sky Sports and with Quest and with uh, BBC Radio 5 Live and Talk Sport, etc. So I guess that's what he's hinting at. And just the fact that this random duo uh, who'd never really been seen before have uh, have an EFL podcast that, that does get listened to and does get followed by uh, a solid, solid base of EFL fans. So I think that's what he's suggesting. But I'm, I'm really interested to hear your sort of story behind the beginning uh, and your answers to those questions uh, of Craig's because I've, I've got some strong memories and thoughts. I remember, but it may not have been four years ago today, but I remember very early on, um, it must have been one of our first kind of two or three episodes. It might have been the first one. You and I kind of doing some market research. I think maybe going through the Twitter account of a former EFL podcast, the We Are Going Up podcast, and um, doing a bit of research into what they had done in the past and what worked and what's popular and stuff. And so I remember seeing one of their episodes, they had previewed a match, I think previewed a match, or maybe spoken to someone after a game, a player. And I remember just thinking that was unbelievable. <laughs> being like, being like, imagine if in a couple of years we are chatting to a player about a game. And just and that felt so unattainable and far away at that point that realistically looking at what we've done now, which you can be very proud of in terms of the people we've spoken to, um, the relationships we formed with players and managers, um, yeah, given how far away and how unattainable just a phone call with, with a player on our little podcast felt then, I think it's fair to say that I definitely didn't see, didn't foresee um, it leading to what it's led to. 100%. There, there, was n- there was never a discussion between us as we started or before we started about you know where it might end up and, and what we might do i mean p- p- partly because at that stage podcasting was not the beast it is now it, i mean that the major ones were around and were big the ramble uh football weekly it, it was a thing more so in the states probably than in the uk but there was absolutely no question of of starting this in order to get somewhere um at the same time in terms of starting something in order to get somewhere i suppose that was always at the in the back of my mind, and my personal big part of my motivation for setting this up was I always, always wanted to be a broadcaster. I always wanted to be 
on TV, preferably, uh, if not on the radio. And that's what I had as that sort of long-term goal that you have that, that, you know, I think almost everyone will have your short-termers, your mid-termers, and then one or two really sort of pie-in-the-sky long-term goals. Um, I was working for production company Sunset and Vine. I mean, I was I less than a year out of uni when we did our first episode. So it's, it's all very fresh. And I, not that I'm particularly old and wise now, but certainly wasn't back then. But I remember, you know, it was the end of that season, the 15-16 season, I'd been loving working as a researcher on Football on Five, just obsessed with the EFL at that stage. It was my job. Uh, it was all I talked about. It was all I watched. And I remember thinking, well, I mean, ultimately, I want to be on TV. I'd love to be presenting a show like this. And I remember sort of looking looking at uh, doing my own market research of the people who host sports TV shows. Um, I remember firstly realising that basically the youngest host is like, it might be a bit different now, but at that stage, it was like 35 or 40 was, was kind of the youngest you'd be. So I remember thinking, well, first and foremost, I've got about 15 years until I can expect <laughs> to actually ex- expect to actually be on the TV. But when you read interviews or when you spoke to these guys, uh, uh, men and women who were hosting, the thing that really stood out was a sort of go and get it attitude that was like when they were young, they probably had quite a lot of luck but they also probably set something up of their own or they um, just badgered people to give them opportunities and that's quite a that's quite a good you know it's something that you get told a lot uh, when you're young you know do, do things off your own back it's not that easy and, and it doesn't always seem obvious depending on your character so that was a big thing for me and I remember thinking right well I'd done tons of university radio which I was you know, which was terrible stuff, but great fun, which I love doing. And I thought, well, I'm not really keeping my eye in at the moment because I'm working behind the scenes. And if I want to be a broadcaster, then I need to at least be be talking. I need to be practicing and improving. So that was definitely a big motivation of mine. I'm interested to to hear what you sort of remember as being your your primary motivations. If you know, and it might be that there that there wasn't anything massive that it just sounded like a bit of fun. I'm not really sure. I remember I remember calling you. I either called you or texted you on a bus going up the Woolworth Road to Elephant and Castle. And that's where the idea was first floated. And I remember, I think you said to me that you'd already been thinking about just doing one on your own. Mm. Well, imagine, I, how boring, I, I, imagine how boring that would have been. That's unbelievably boring. <laughs> at, at uni, I couldn't find anyone to do a sports show with on, uh, on Burst Radio. So I did one on my own <laughs> called the Maximum Although, Sports Review, where I just phoned up my brother and we talked about basketball and football. <laughs> Um, although to be honest, yeah, sometimes in the first year it did feel like it was just your show. But, uh, <laughs> but in the first year, yeah, there was one, there wasn't there one review that said something like, "Is this meant to be just one of you doing like an impressively long monologue?" Because if it is, then I guess in a weird way it's quite good. But if it isn't, then it's really weird. Yeah, um, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it certainly took a while, as it as it always will with it with a with a duo to uh, to sort of find the right balance. And some would say we never quite found it. But, uh... <laughs> Still, with the Gerard and Lampard of, uh, of EFL <laughs> football podcasting. But it's, um, yeah, for me, it was, it was you know, I, I think we should get onto some stories pretty soon that aren't just, aren't just about ourselves. But for me, it was it was definitely about changing career. Um, you know, I worked as a trader for a bookie, believe it or not, those people who listen to the betting <laughs> show. And... Uh, <laughs> And I was in a position where I couldn't really move in to do something more creative. And I didn't want to work as a trader for ages. And I didn't really have any massive aspirations to be um, anything more than kind of move over to the media side of things, whatever that looked like. 
um, so everything that's happened since. I mean, now I definitely, you know, I know that it's what I want to do. Um, but unlike you, it wasn't a grand plan. It's just mm. been a case of saying yes to whatever comes our way. Try not to get too nervous and trying to do a good job. And in that pure, you know, that pure motivation to move industry, that sort of bore fruit quite quickly, didn't it? I mean, not necessarily that the podcast was the be all and end all, but you did move to, was it Squawker first and then obviously to Oddschecker? And I feel like doing the podcast, while again, maybe not the, the, the main thing, was quite there's, handy for that. There's no, there's no way I'd have got you the job without, without the podcast. Like, no way. I was, and I was told that at the time as well. So, I mean, anyone... I guess the way to turn this from a, what did you call it? A uh, circle jerk. I like to turn a phrase. A, <laughs> the way to turn this into a, from a circle jerk into something a bit more um, helpful. Is anyone who's listening to this? And I know there are a lot of people who do listen who want to get into um, sport and sports media because we get a few DMs and stuff. Is you know, just do something on your own. Like we're so lucky that we live in a in an age now where, I mean so many jobs that you or I could have um, you know put ourselves forward for or applied for with people like TalkSport Sky and BBC where we wouldn't even got an interview so just being able to, to start your own thing build an audience yourself without much work and then take that forward we're very lucky that we can do that and it means the whole industry is more accessible if you're happy to take a chance on yourself and, and, and build something on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I do like to think, George, that, that there will be people who um, allow this this circle jerk. Uh, four years is, is a long time. We've done over 250 pods, I think. So, I mean, you know, if we could get 20 minutes or half an hour, then I'm, I'm sure that will be allowed. Um, just before we <laughs> before we move on, I, I should mention... It was my idea as well, so I shouldn't apologise too much. <laughs> uh, 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 before we move on, I should say, I remember at the beginning... Um, one of my main feelings, because because I'd been doing social media for Channel 5 uh, on the Football on 5 show, as well as uh, researching and stuff like that. Um, and so I followed, I'd already sort of built up the right people to follow for news and for opinion. And I remember thinking so clearly, and I'm sure I would have said this to you, I remember thinking, if, if we can get Mark O'Hare, Mike Holden and Gab Sutton to listen to the podcast and to share the podcast and to enjoy the podcast, then we will have like cracked it. That will be, that's what we need to do originally. Um, and given, you know, the first few pods were getting what, 100, 100, 200, 300 listens. Uh, that was quite, that was quite important. And it kind of, you know, the, the big underlying theme through all this, I suppose, um, is just the, the amount of support that we had from people throughout, um, whether that was people just being incredibly kind. And I like to think there was a group of people who were just very happy to 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 have decent EFL discussion content because uh, you mentioned the We Are Going Up guys. They had just stopped, I think. Um, both of them had got really good jobs. Funnily enough, we work with Dave now, who used to host that podcast um, uh, with The Athletic, and he's absolutely smashing it. And so I think is his, his former pod partner, and um, there was a real void. And certainly there's always been that feeling, um, hopefully less so. Hopefully the coverage is improving, but there has and certainly was always a feeling that there wasn't much smart uh, discussion or really detailed or analytical or in-depth discussion about Championship League One and League Two clubs uh, from the mainstream media. So that was obviously something something whose void we filled. But But I must stress, going back to Craig's question, that was definitely not what we expected. It was not part of some grand plan. And it's all, you know, so much of this. And I suppose, again, so much of, of any career comes down to random bits of luck and chance, uh, things that have sort of happened along the way. Um, 
George, what, what are some of the big early moments for you? It's kind of weird when you think that it's been four years, but actually the first two years, we weren't particularly regular. Uh, it was all pretty slapdash. And obviously we weren't really doing anything other than the pod itself. Um, and in the last two years, things have really sort of motored on, I suppose. But um, just sort of into that second year, we, we did get one or two opportunities. What, what do you remember as being the sort of the really big moments? There was a big day, which I think must have been pretty much, yeah, it would have been about a year and a half in where you mentioned Mark O'Hare, where we have Mark O'Hare and Steve Freef from Bet365, from Bet both coming to London. I mean, Steve lives in Stoke, so he came to London off his own back and Mark came into central London. They weren't paid, obviously, because we couldn't pay them anything. Um, and they came and they spent about four hours in a really hot studio at Squawker with us and recorded season previews. And I think, and after recording then, me and you went for a beer outside a pub in Whitechapel mm -hmm. and discussed whether or not what we were going to do with the pod, whether it was worth carrying on, going on, carrying on doing it, given that, you know, we had a listenership, but it wasn't that big. We both had full-time jobs. And I would say both getting two guys to you know take time out of schedule for us as like a gesture which massively enhanced our um you know our authenticity let's say ahead of the new season was big i think you and i going for a pint afterwards and discussing it and deciding we were going to crack on was big because mm. that was the season where our numbers really rose and then just a couple of weeks later after that we did our first ever one to 24s and i'm pretty sure that if we hadn't have done that it would have been a much, much slower progress because mm. I'm happy to, um, you know, to let the listeners look behind the curtain a little bit. Happy to tell you that those 124s get <laughs> way more listeners than every, anything else that we do. 100%. And every year it's, it, it's a big acquisition for us where they come out kind of at the last week of July and we retain a fair few listens from that. So I think it's basically that week at the beginning of or was it the seventeen eighteen season, um, which I think was very important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, those those previews is like it's worth us spending a lot of time on the one to twenty fours, and we now know that with the benefit of a few years behind us, because it's uh, it's that sweet spot a week before the the Premier League is thinking about kicking off, and all eyes are on the EFL and. I mean, who knows why we decided to do 24th to 1st and a little bit on each team because it's actually so draining and it can be very tiring. But, and the first year we did it, I was absolutely hammered as well. I seem to remember <laughs> we did it over the course of about six hours in my flat and uh, by the end of League Two, you could just hear me sort of hiccuping and burping. So thankfully, what we did get down was was good enough to, to grab a lot of people. I remember making a big deal on social about us sort of flying up the the rankings, the iTunes rankings as well. That was really exciting because we'd never really um, made much of a dent in that. So that was definitely a big thing. I mean, interestingly, before that, March, I think it was March 2017, I was trying to look back. Uh, you actually went on Talk Sport for the first time with, I think, Luke Moore from The Ramble. And was it Sag mm. was it Saggers as well? Who, who, who were you on with? That was, it was I Saggers that. I can't... And, it was, and Kate Borsay from the offside. So that at that point we're only a year, yeah we're a year in at that stage I think um, and 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you did it because I was really nervous, even though I wasn't even on. I remember listening, thinking this is absolutely huge. Like, what are a couple of podcasters or what's a podcaster doing on Talk Sport? But that was class. Yeah, that was that was actually very. Um, yeah, it was weird. I, it was because I'd left Squawker at a time my Squawker wasn't doing too well, and I didn't go straight into a job. So I spoke to a friend of mine, uh, Mike Williams, who is the you may know him as the as Mike from Zoe Ball's radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, which he's been doing for a couple of years. Anyway, but he's, he's a friend of mine and he is, was obviously great. And he put me in touch with a producer at TalkSport called Sal Ahmed. And me and Sal had a call. I was hoping he was just going to give a couple of tips here and there. And he and he booked, he booked me for a show a week later, um, which was a massive leap of faith uh, for him to do that. Um, and it was great. I just remember, you said it was March. So would that, would that quite be right? I must have been... Yeah, I mean, I remember it must have been April the year after, once at TalkSport anyway. Um, it was during the Masters. <laughs> and I remember I had to break the news that Rory McIlroy had hit the ball in the water on a certain hole <laughs> because Sagas was talking and they had the golf on up on the, up on the wall. And I literally saw Rory hit in the water. And I thought to myself, I was like, that is, yeah, that is like big news. So I was like, Sagas, just going just gonna to stop you there. R- Rory McIlroy has just hit the ball in the water on 13. And it was just ridiculous, the whole, the whole thing. And, and luckily, he was like, oh, my God, really? What happened? And I kind of talked through it. it could have gone really the other way, moment. couldn't it? it could yeah, have he got... could have been like, what are you doing? Shut up. <laughs> but luckily, it was the right thing to do. And I remember just sitting there being like, that is one of the weirdest things. I'm sitting here on a Thursday night. I was livid that I was missing the golf anyway. Uh, but luckily, I got to watch it. And obviously, I wasn't listening to what Sagas was saying. I was watching Rory just you know, putting it on the water and on 15 or something. And I was like, Sag is just going to gonna stop me there. Uh, Roy McIlroy has just hit the ball in the water at 15. Very, Amazing. very big for your boots. I mean, you must have done quite well because uh, I then, uh, it was sort of my turn, I suppose. The next thing was the season preview, the night before the first game of the season uh, in August 2017, uh, which I did with, with big Chris Iwellamo and I think uh, Tom Barkley as well. Tom had been on the pod a few times. He was covering the EFL uh, at the time and doing it sort of better than any journo around and he was a, he was quite a big one for us as well and slightly indirectly because a it was awesome that he came on the pod and he gave great insight he was really good at finding out the sort of stories the human stories um, that were sort of most interesting and getting great access um, but also fast forward to uh, the start of 2018 we've been doing we've both been doing quite a bit of talk sport too at that stage um, they had a great show with Dan Windle uh, who's become a good pal of ours. And we loved going on that because it would be one of us. Uh, Dan would be hosting, so you didn't have to worry about the running order, which is always the bane of my life. And then there'd be a former pro, whether it was uh, Johnny Jackson or Chris Iwellamo or I can't... I mean, you were on with a few different people. I think Dean Ashton, Sam Parkin, of course, um, all these great names. And then we'd be sort of in the middle and it was that nice foil role, as I called it, where you sort of... You're not expected to... Uh, give any insight that that an actual footballer can give because that is a big it's a big hole for us we can't talk about what it's like in various situations but what we could do is show off a little bit of knowledge of league one and league two and sort of prove that we we really did spend our life talking about this stuff and it all came um, relatively easy yeah there was a, a good one it was more recently than, than those early talk sport days but must have been about 18 months ago um when natalie sawyer was hosting kickoff and we had a bit of a stage where you and I would go in 
and we'd do an hour at the end of Natalie's show. Mm-hmm. So she'd be she'd be joined by an ex-pro, they'd do two hours together, then we'd come in and do the FLR at the end. And I came, and I arrived, and it was Kieran Richardson and Natalie. And Kieran and Natalie had spent two hours on air together. And it was fair to say, I think Kieran, Natalie, and the producer were all like, this is this has been tough so far. Like, thank God we got another voice in. So I walk in, and Natalie says, like, oh, okay, Kieran, we're doing, we're doing EFL for an hour. And Kieran was like, I've got absolutely no idea about any of this. So, so he was like, mate, you're going to have to do everything here. So every time it turned into basically Kieran just asking me questions about the EFL, just sitting there and him being like, so mate, what, what's happening at the bottom of the League One then? And he just sit back and listen. And it just, again, it was just surreal and bizarre. I mean, it's so great. And he was an absolute legend. And obviously Natalie's been brilliant with, with, with us and, and what we've done as well. Um, it's just yeah, it's just funny. It's it, it, funny it, thinking back. It did start to dawn on us, I think, after a few experiences like that, that just the ability to um, talk about all three leagues and, you know, not even necessarily in depth, but key personnel, uh, managers, teams, you know, on a level that we would expect to be normal because we'd been at that stage doing the pod every week for quite a long time. Um, but that we, we sort of worked out was maybe not that normal and was actually quite attractive for for broadcasters or for programs, whatever it was, because um, it's, it's a lot easier, I think. And I can speak from some experience as well, having worked in TV as a producer, there's a you know when a guest arrives you spend about 10 minutes working out how much they know and then you either spend the next hour taking them up to speed giving them notes feeding them lines or you um or you sort of have a coffee and have a natter and sort of warm them up because they know their stuff so i think we realized that there might be an opportunity for us in various places if we could just maintain a knowledge and a, a comfort level i suppose with the with the football itself because as we knew already, there's a great appetite for EFL content and there's a great reaction from EFL fans when you do it. I was going to say properly, it doesn't necessarily need to be well. The opinions don't have to be absolutely spot on, but when you take time over it and when you go in depth a little bit more, the, the certainly our listener base have always come across as really sort of appreciative, certainly in the early days of that, and that, that came through very well. I mean, going back to Tom Barkley, uh, he now doesn't write about the EFL, sadly, but we saw him on uh, a Sky sports show called EFL Matters. And up to that point, we obviously hadn't done any TV. I was still working uh, for Sunset and Vine, so I was still working in TV. And uh, we'd sort of seen that show and thought, maybe, you know, it'd be cool to go on or it'd be cool to get an opportunity. But every week the guest would, uh, to, well, we thought was a player or a manager or a former player or a former manager and it sort of struck us that, that that wasn't necessarily attainable. But then one Thursday night, we turned it on and Tom Barkley was on. And obviously we knew Tom. We knew that he really knew his stuff. Um, but we also knew that we, you know, we knew our stuff as well. And that was a, a moment where I realized, OK, they're kind of maybe open to getting on a non-player or a, non, uh, a non-manager, a someone not from the game. But that's a big thing to do, especially when it's only a weekly show. You can't really risk having a rubbish episode with some people who have never been on TV before. So that's where we certainly, George, got another monstrous leap of faith from uh, from Sean Boyle from Sky Sports, who I don't know how you got his email address, but you, you sort of cold-called him, asked for a coffee, and then the, re- <laughs> the rest, I, I suppose, probably wouldn't go as far as to say his history, but that was another, probably my most memorable day, I think, that meeting Sean. Yeah, it was it was it was Dave Jones, guest guest host of the pod, Dave Jones, who um, <laughs> I mean that was also pretty fun. Uh, 
but yeah, it was Dave who very kindly, who, who I got to know through his time at Oxford. Um, and he very kindly put us in touch with Sean. And it was just that funny thing where we went in, we had all of, we had our spiel planned as to how we were going to sell ourselves to him and explain who we were and what we did. And we kind of started on that line. He was like, lads, I listened to the podcast. I listened to it for years. It's great. <laughs> we're like, ah, cool. Sales pitch out the window. Um, and doing our first, our first EFL matters with Pratt's and Pratt's being a legend, uh, of course. Yeah. Striking up a very quick friendship with him. And, you know, I guess what's cool about that is quite often people will, you know, people will come on shows on Sky and then they'll guest on it and that'll be that. And I guess because it turned from one into two and then a couple of months later to another one, without really realising, we became part of, of, of Sky's EFL coverage, which is still surreal to this day and something that we're really looking forward to doing again when this all finishes. But, um, I think that is probably the most extraordinary part of, of these four years is that, yeah, I mean, that, that was never really on the cards. And not only, you know, not only has it happened, but I think hopefully we're in a position now where, fingers crossed, we'll be part of Sky's coverage of the AFL for a long time to come. And, and hopefully more and more as we continue to, to learn and, and get better. Well, so, that's, what, that's what we'd like. That's, uh, that decision is not up to us, sadly. If anyone's listening, no, no, but no, but it's it's you know that's it's what we're hoping for, and, and it's great to be in that position. That the fingers crossed we will be. Sometimes it's good to communicate that as well, in case anyone is listening. We absolutely love working for Sky Sports. Uh, <laughs> they've been very good to us, and uh, we are hopeful that that we will uh, continue to work for them for a long time. A massive, massive shift for me in my whole perception of what we were doing and where it could lead to that first show of EFL Matters, the first. TV appearance, not actually my first TV appearance because I was on a, on an episode of Pointless uh, when I was at university, yes. but the first sort of proper one where I felt like I was there, maybe not on merit, but I was getting a chance and, and I knew it was really important. Hearing that uh, intro song uh, as we stood there by that small table, knee, your knees knocking, my arms just like as if I've never had arms before, like huge tree trunks coming out of my torso. I had no idea what to do with them. The nerves are actually absolutely unbelievable. I don't think I've ever watched that show back because I've no idea what we said or if any of it made sense. But um, just to move on, like that was a huge one for me personally, just actually thinking to myself, we've had this opportunity. We don't know if it will happen again. You know, they made the right noises. They said, we really liked having you on. Maybe we'll have you on again in the future. And I just remember thinking, if I think about where I'm at in my career, three years in, I was assistant producer on a show that was ending. The contract was up with Channel 5. It was going to move to a different channel. We didn't know what at that stage. Sunset and Vine does loads of really, really cool stuff in terms of sports TV production. Um, but I think I just felt, oh, hold on. If they're, if, we, if they're not doing anything with the EFL... Um, if if aged whatever it was 25 just had a chance to to be on Sky Sports talking about the EFL then I have to give it a go to make that more of a thing to make that happen more often so that was the big that was sort of everything fell into place timings wise for me to go freelance that summer knowing that the TV industry is quite freelance anyway so I should in theory be able to to keep getting jobs as a researcher or assistant producer but also just to free us up a bit more um, in order to help producing the pod really well and getting a sponsor, which was massive, uh, the next season, uh, and also making sure if if Sky wanted to have us back on, we were available. I mean, the 
going twice weekly at the start of 1819 and uh, me being freelance and, and needing to be able to justify it financially, I think it's fair to say, um, getting the sponsorship from Black Type, just a monstrously big day as well. And I think we got the news when we were in the in the car park at the Kassam Stadium. And the Kastad car park. Um, yeah, we did. We did. It was massive. It was massive because it meant that we kind of realised that actually maybe doing a podcast and talking about the FL was a viable career option. Um, yeah, that was probably the moment where it went from being a really fun hobby that had some benefits in terms of professional life to being like, oh, right, we can actually earn money doing this. And if we really focus, we can be of, of value to companies and we can monetize it. And that, you know, since then, you know, you were, you'd just gone freelance at the time anyway. And that was obviously a bit of a, a load off your mind having, having that sponsorship. And mm. it was the beginning of me realizing that actually I didn't necessarily need to have a full-time job to, to support it. And now look at us both. What's, <laughs> what, what's your job? We're both, <laughs> not the top 20 is my job, um, which is really cool to be able to do. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not actually a great time to be a freelancer, to be quite honest, but, uh, no, <laughs> but no, that was, that was a big but, moment. But, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. That's yeah. 2018, 2019, going twice weekly, um, taking it maybe a bit more seriously and getting more opportunities. That's sort of the big one for me. Um, and then obviously this season has sort of carried on more, more opportunities with Sky. Um, I've obviously been working with Quest since the start of last season anyway, as a freelancer, as a producer, um, and having Colin Murray basically put himself out there uh, in order to, to get me a chance on that show um, has certainly been a, a huge thing for me as well. To be on a Saturday night football highlights show is is pretty pretty crazy. And then for, from yourself as well, George, the last few months before lockdown, becoming a... I'm shaking my head thinking about this because becoming a BBC Radio 5 Live, uh, what's it called, sports report, sort of important reporter and regular <laughs> reporter... Um, pretty remarkable. So it's uh, it's been pretty amazing. We have had a few questions. Did you well, want to I pick think, up? Yeah, just, just, well, no, I think just, yeah, on that, I think, you know, love working for Sky and, yeah, just also love working for BBC. It's like a dream come true to work <laughs> for the Beam. Um, and, yeah, again, thank you to, to the people there um, who've, yeah, but I guess taken a bit of a chance on, on us both because we've both done stuff with, with Mark Chapman, who's been really great and a big kind of champion of ours I guess within the Beeb and a couple of other people behind the scenes um, it's just it's, it's still I find it pretty crazy that for six weeks before this all happened I was spending Saturdays reporting for Five Live and yeah a bit of a dream come true so that was that was cool what about uh, answering a couple more questions uh, Andy I love this tweeted do you ever wake up one Monday or Thursday and think I cannot be bothered with this today because it doesn't seem like it. Well, I'm glad he. Ch- I'm really glad he added that bit at the end because that's that's obviously the goal. Uh, because I mean, certainly over the course of however many it's been, 250, I'm sure there's been a few occasions where we haven't necessarily been fully buzzing, shall we say? Yeah. All, all I'll say to, to people listening is, we've all had those weekends, whether it's a stag do or you know just a weekend away with your mates, and we've all had those Mondays in the office afterwards where. If you're honest, your productivity levels are not particularly high. So imagine being told after that day's work, when you finished at 5.30, that you then have to 
stay in the office later than you wanted to and talk about League Two football in the middle of November when realistically you've just about managed to watch the highlights during, you know, in the last half an hour or so. Uh, I, was yes, always, definitely... I, I was always quite hard on you when I knew you'd had a big weekend as well. Like, I would not give you an inch. I would not let you try and back out at any well, stage. We, want, we, we won't say which podcast it was, but there was a podcast once where I came straight from a festival in Wales, straight to, to see you, and literally hadn't seen a second's football and just had to make really general points throughout the whole thing about what I thought <laughs> generally and not, not give any, uh, um, you know, value to the weekend. And, and I guess the only other time if we're going to be honest, it's probably in the last eight weeks as well. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're pretty committed to, to giving this to you guys. But given that we're doing it over Skype, um, given that, you know, for transparency, again, the, the listener numbers, as to be expected, aren't particularly high at the moment. Um, so it, it, there's some difficulty in, in having the creative juices flowing to make good content. That's but, definitely you know, it. Whenever, whenever we're doing it, it's, it's good fun. Yeah, I, I'm sure we're not alone in... in you know, whether it's because of, of outside anxieties about the, the epidemic, the pandemic rather, or, or work or family, whatever it is, it definitely, I've noticed how much it's affected my creative juices, as you put it. It's it's not that I don't want to do the pods, and it's certainly not that I don't have the odd hour here and there to do them, but it just feels much harder to, to raise yourself uh, at the moment. Thankfully, we have found some good little tropes and some fun little things to do, which have helped. Um, which have been good fun, and obviously trying our best when we can to to get very smart people on to sort of explain the situation maybe better than we can. Uh, I did have a note here saying ever close to sacking it off? Question mark. I suppose you kind of mentioned it earlier um, that there was a there was there, there have been a few moments, not loads, but a few moments where we've said right, we need to have a sort of state of the nation chat here. What are we going to do? Are we going to do more? Are we going to do less? Do we both want to keep doing it? I think a big big thing that I hadn't really thought of before was how close we worked together uh, for about a two-year period or an 18-month period where we both worked in Hammersmith in offices just on the other side of the Broadway. And I think being able to know that we could meet at 5.30 every Monday, thankfully, Odds Checker were kind enough to let us use a room to record in and equipment as well, I should say, um, to, yeah. know that, to know that that was locked in every Monday and it wasn't a big... It was your office, so you didn't have to travel... It was so close to where I was working. Uh, that was a massive thing because I dare say there would have been periods where it would have just got a little bit too much with the travel. So that was a big one. Um, my, yeah. uh, and, I, and I think also now, you know, we have to travel across London a fair bit now. But, but something's changed in the last kind of 18 months or so where, you know, for the first two and a half, maybe three years, everything was about getting as many people listening to the podcast as possible completely and utterly. And now because we have work that is away from the podcast, which will hopefully continue you know we have our relationship with sky and, and bbc and quest and a couple of other things as well it's almost given us more freedom where unless we wanted to go down the route of slapping sponsors all over the podcast it, it's not as important anymore um which is which is quite nice you know we are definitely committed to, to still doing the pod um because we love it but now it's it's just not whether numbers go up or down or whatever as long as we're still making good stuff and we keep our relationships going with other people and we're keeping it relevant um it's just quite a nice position to be in in terms of any regrets um not many thankfully i would have all you you know that i've always had 
Patreon in the back of my mind. It's never gone away basically since we started the pod because I've seen people do it so well and also, you know, create excellent content, which is what people are paying for, but then obviously as well, make decent money from it. And we've never quite been brave enough to pull the trigger basically for want of not having to change the relationship that we had with the listeners. And I suppose as well, understanding that once people are paying for for your content, there is a lot more pressure, there's a lot more responsibility. Um, and, you know, you, you can't you can't make promises and then not keep them in that sense. So we've never really done that. Mm. I would have liked in a parallel universe if I knew that it was, you know, risk-free, I would have liked to have given that a go. And I think we could have come up with some really cool bonus stuff and still kept the main pod free, but that hasn't happened. The only other thing I is... Think- I think hopefully, you know, there might be a time in the next couple of weeks where we'll give ourselves our, our annual summer break. And, you know, if, if there's a, a thirst for us to, to, to get started on something like that, then, then we always can do. Mm. And also, we've, we've been very lucky in the past, I guess, that we've had a few emails and messages from people who, who basically say that they would like to support us in a way because they feel like having enjoyed kind of four years of free content, <laughs> they, they'd like to do that. And if anyone's listening who would want to do that, then... The one way you can is, is to subscribe to The Athletic because that is inadvertently um, supporting us, I would say. So that is theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Don't obviously feel like in any way you need to, but that would be one way of supporting us. And it is obviously superb football content. Yeah, spot on. Uh, the only other thing is that maybe with uh, the extra workload in the last year or so, uh, definitely aware that the... The Twitter account, while still while still there, and while I'm still proud of it in general, uh, I would say it is a significantly less engaging uh, EFL discussion hub than it used to be. For which I can only really apologise. It is just down to to man hours and time, uh, not down to uh, a distaste for the for the followers or anything like that. That's that's I suppose that's you can't really regret that because I just I just simply haven't. We don't have the time to put into it. Uh, as much as we used to but um, you know there there was a time where I felt very strongly that we were kind of the go-to hub for EFL conversation that might be slightly less the case now there are so many good accounts out there whether they're the numerous EFL podcasts that have sprung up since we started uh, many of which are excellent um, and uh, or just stats stat accounts or discussion accounts there's there's a lot of good EFL chat online now so maybe we maybe it's not the end of the world that we don't do that um iconic moments uh, Gab wanted to know. He he really liked Bamford Island, and he also liked the the Daniel Fark impression, which certainly caused more of a stir than I was expecting. Um, for me, very early on, I think at the start of the seven uh, the sixteen seventeen season, you used the phrase the Nescafe shake to mean yes. doing the um stolen from Jerome Sale at Radio Oxford. But right. yes, the Nescafe I, shake. I, I had never ever heard uh, that I. phrase before. To mean basically doing the wanker sign. I'm sure I can say that an hour into the podcast, and iTunes won't get too sad. Um, you used the phrase Nescafe shake, and I ha- I just didn't know what it meant for ages. So I think I asked you afterwards, and then it re- really sent me. Uh, I enjoyed that turn of phrase. It's quite difficult to pick iconic moments, to be honest, um, because you know we tend to just meet up record the pod and and go on our merry way i would say one of the things i'm quite proud of is in a weird way is how little production value the podcast has how little time um we spend 
treating it afterwards uh, how little time we spend while recording sort of planning what we're going to say next or going back and redoing things um i don't think either of us have the appetite for for huge amounts of editing or for huge amounts of time spent um sort of making it sound nice and i like that because i mean how many listeners have we lost over the years because we didn't have nice jingles or we didn't have edit you know we hadn't edited ourselves out saying um and r and you know i i i think probably i think probably very few you know we've kept the audio quality as good as we can throughout uh, and apart from that i think the rest has been decent having said that some of the early interviews where we would hold the phone up to a microphone and put mm. it on loudspeaker put the speaker next to the sort of phone microphone head that was probably not the best no <laughs> Right, lastly, we're going on long here. Um, let's finish on a nice note. Uh, two, two, two last things, actually. Favourite guests is... I mean, that's just an impossible Michael question. Michael Appleton. <laughs> that's just an impossible question. Michael Appleton. Okay, Michael Appleton. Um, I have been so proud of the NTT 20 Meet series. Obviously, we haven't done, like, loads and loads and loads, but I remember that being a huge thing last season when I had a little bit more time um and being able to drive and go and interview managers and them being so game for it and you know the whole point of it was that we weren't looking for a soundbite or a quote that could be used as a headline as sort of clickbait to get people to to listen to them and it almost in in approaching it like that we ended up getting more <laughs> good soundbites and more good quotes than you otherwise would because the sort of relaxed nature of the discussion i suppose and the feeling that We've gone on for 45 minutes. They're probably thinking, who's actually listening to this? Meant, meant that we really got some good stuff. So, I mean, all of the all of the NTT20 meets. But in the early days, talking to Harry Jameson, uh, Scunthorpe United analyst, uh, Dean Gripton, of course, from Football Manager, Zach Goldman. Like, this is a... Those are great early guests. People we basically just thought were really cool and we just wanted to talk to them. That was how we kind of based it uh, in those early days. So anyone else spring to mind apart from Appleton for you, mate? I mean, I obviously enjoyed our, our foot golf with JJ immensely. <clears throat> the first, second episode coming out sometime in 2027. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think there are so many. We've been very lucky with the people we've spoken to. Um, yes, I mean, I, I, I think it's been very cool over the last couple of weeks that we've been able to talk to Matt Slater throughout the ongoing um you know the ongoing stuff with coronavirus because he's an industry leader within journalism about a story that transcends just sport so being able to call on him to give our listeners cutting edge breaking news basically has been pretty amazing there's no there's no real least favorite interviews we actually i think there was a period where we we just weren't really doing many interviews part of that was we felt so clearly that in the EFL sphere, there was a lot of just sort of standard cliche sound bites that, that people get um, that other people were doing better than us because they had better access. And also we just didn't think was hugely valuable alongside what we were considering to be hopefully quite good in-depth analysis, sometimes using data and numbers, um, you know, woe betide it. So uh, I do just remember one interview we did on a Monday, someone who had scored, I think, the weekend before. Um, I'm always grateful to the... Um, to the people who helped us set up those interviews. But I just remember being really excited about this one. The first question was like, amazing goal and a massive win, you know, huge. And just got the old, like, we've been working hard on the training ground. Gaffer's really drilled it into us and we're just looking forward to the next game. And I remember just thinking like, right, okay, don't think we're gonna get much here. 
Um, last but not least, George. Also, it was, it, was, it was fun when we spoke to Alex Fisher, my old mate from primary school. Oh, yeah. Being able to talk to a guy that I hadn't seen since I was about seven years old, uh, you know, who was who just scored a hat trick for Yeovil in League Two. Mm. Um, that was that was fun. I would if we if someone said to us, you have to find a player who will come on every single week. Uh, I think after the player takeover we did a couple of months ago, I think I would get Jed Wallace on each week. He uh, he just loves it and he's so happy to give opinions. He's not scared about who might be listening and what they might think. And that's the best way because actually people aren't upset when you give an opinion uh, actually that reminds me people have been quite upset with you over the years george for giving opinions notably reading fc fans and uh, sunderland afc fans and what's funny is we now have a couple of reading supporting podcast friends who are very much within the analytics community mm. and just this morning i read you know it was our friends at the roker report who initially shared my tweet about sunderland which meant that i was in for a barrage of abuse and just this morning I read a piece on the Roker Report suggesting that um, Sunderland should change their recruitment plan and follow the Brentford model. So it just shows how things do turn around. But uh, we should yeah. we should say a thank you to um, a- analytics and f- performance data in general because I think in the first few years when it was less available and less discussed and less sort of uh, adopted, uh, it certainly did help us with our opinions. You know, covering three divisions is quite tough. You can't watch every single game. You can't watch in-depth highlights of, of many games as well. Uh, it has helped us an awful lot to, uh, I think, give a, a, a bit more depth to our coverage and certainly has helped with uh, some of the predictions and opinions, which to some people have sounded fairly crazy over time. But some of them, not all of them, have ended up looking quite good after a, after a bit of time. Um, lastly, putting you on the spot, what would you say you're uh, most proud of four years into NTT20? What's the thing you're most proud of? Probably that we're still friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it has to be the, the work that we've, that's come out of it. I think being able to... The fact to, that you're now um, a broadcaster on LinkedIn. Yeah, am I? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I am. I, I, I definitely am. No, I think, I, I think being, yeah, being part of... You know, having been an Oxford fan all my life and therefore, except for a, a miserable spell um, where I was watching non-league football, uh, yeah, I, I guess being able to, to be part of of the BBC and Sky and talk sports coverage of the, of the leagues that, I've, that I love is, is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, actually, I laughed when you said still being friends, but that is actually pretty much what I'm most proud of. Not necessarily still being friends, but... Uh, it's it's a big thing to work with one other person, whether you're mates or not. I think when there's just two of you, um, you know, the, you you really are at the mercy of each other's mood and motivation and energy. And there's huge scope for di- a lot of disagreements or just like, you know, even on the short term, like small bits of bitterness or annoyance to grow and like. That stuff can be very difficult, I think, over the sp- over the space of a few years. Um, it's obviously not been necessarily like a hundred percent plain sailing, but I reckon maybe ninety nine point five percent plain sailing. And I'm it's just, just gonna whistle down the mic, isn't it? That's the annoying part. I don't like it when you whistle down the mic. Uh, I'm very proud of that, and I'm very grateful to you for that as well, because you know I I don't think I'm some absolute legend that would be. I don't think I would want to work with me all the time. <laughs> um, and um, I think it's it's amazing 
that it's worked so well. Obviously, we were mates before, which was which probably helped. But in some ways, maybe that doesn't help because as well as as well as all of the pod stuff, which we chat about all the time, we're also very good mates and part of the same friendship group. So we are we are on top of each other theoretically or hypothetically a lot of the time. But I think yeah, the the way that we've worked together fairly seamlessly, divvied up various jobs, but also. You know, you can't always do things as a as a pair. You know, in terms of radio and TV. So, um, you know, being able to do things individually, divvy it up where possible, but also just sort of give each other space and in and enjoy each other's success and know that it will ultimately help us all, uh, help us both, I suppose, as a duo. That's what I'm most proud of there. So, that's... I agree, mate. It's got it's got all dusty in here dangerously eulogistic uh, part dangerously of the podcast dusty. Yeah. It's, it's hard yeah. to know how many people were still tuned in here um we made it very clear after the 10 minutes of the podcast that this was coming that it was going to be uh, very soppy and potentially of no interest being as it is exceptionally self-indulgent but hopefully the warnings were clear hopefully uh, some of you have enjoyed uh, listening to uh, a couple of stories a couple of memories from the last four years of not the top 20 pod ultimately we couldn't have done it without you, the people tuning in and listening, um, either agreeing or disagreeing with our opinions, with what we're saying, um, enjoying some of the bad jokes, the bad impressions, the uh, bad songs that I've written. George's face every time I sing on the podcast is an absolute picture. Fair to say he hates it, absolutely hates it. Um, but, you know, ultimately we were driven early on by the fact that we had a good initial reaction and people seemed keen for, for EFL content that was a little bit different to, to what you're getting in the mainstream. So um, we have basically anyone who's ever tuned in to thank and especially those of you who've been there since the beginning. George, hope you have a good rest of the week. we got going up, going down to sort out on Thursday. Looking forward to that. We'll, we'll, we'll probably have quite a lot to talk about given what we think is yes. about to happen. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But I'm going to enjoy our anniversary in the meantime and you know, maybe tomorrow morning I'll wake up and we'll know who's a championship side next season. <laughs> um, right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please subscribe to Going Up, Going Down. We'll be back again on Thursday with that. Stay safe. Follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you thought about this. Uh, we won't be doing something like this again for a while, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. <laughs>